Section 16 of the History of Lady Julia Mandeville. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Patty Cunningham. The History of Lady Julia Mandeville by Francis Brooke. Section 16. Epistle Henry. To Henry Mandeville, Esquire, August 6th. Happy in seeing in my son that heroic spirit, which has ever distinguished our house, I should with pleasure consent to his design, were this a proper time to execute it, provided he went a volunteer, and determined to accept no command but as a reward of real services, and with a resolution it should never interfere with that independence to which I would have him sacrifice every other consideration. But when there is so strong a probability of peace, his going would appear like making a parade of that courage which he did not expect would be tried. Yes, my son, I am well assured we shall have peace, that the most amiable of princes, the friend of humankind, pitying the miseries of his species, and melting with compassion at the wide-extended scene of desolation, mediates such a peace as equally provides for the interest and honor of Britain, and the future quiet of mankind. The terms talked are of such as give us an immense addition of empire, and strengthen that superiority of naval force on which our very being depends, whilst they protect our former possessions, and remove the source of future wars by securing all, and much more than all, for which this was undertaken. Yet, by their just moderation, convince the world a British monarch is governed only by the laws of honor and equity, not by that impious thirst of false glory which actuates the laureled scourges of mankind. After so long, so extensive and bloody a war, a war which has depopulated our country, and loaded us with a burden of debt from which nothing can extricate us but the noble spirit of public frugality, which, if steadily and uniformly pursued, will rank the name of our prince with those of Elizabeth and Henry the Great. All ardently wish for peace but those who gain by the continuance of war. The clamors of these are inconceivable, clamors which can be founded only in private interest, because begun before they could even guess at the terms intended, and continued when such are mentioned as reason herself would dictate but such ever will be the conduct of those in whom love of wealth is the primary passion. Heaven and earth! Can men wearing the form and professing the sentiments of humanity, deaf to the cries of the widow and the orphan, labor to perpetuate the dreadful carnage which has deluged the world with the blood of their fellow creatures, only to add to the mass of their already unwieldy wealth and prey longer on the distress of their country? These clamors are as illegal as they are indecent. Peace and war are the prerogative of the crown, sacred as the liberties of the people, nor will ever be invaded by those who understand and love our happy constitution. Let us strengthen the hands of our sovereign by our warm approbation during the course of this arduous work, and if his ministers abuse their trust, let them answer it not to the noise of unthinking faction or the unfeeling bosom of private interest, but to the impartial laws of their country. Heaven forbid I should ever see a British king independent on his people collectively, but I would have him raised above private cabals or the influence of any partial body of men, however wealthy or respectable. 
If the generous views of our prince do not meet with the success they merit, if France refuses such a peace as secures the safety of our colonies, and the superiority as a naval power so necessary to the liberties of Europe, as well as our own independence, you shall join the army in a manner becoming your birth, and the style of life in which you have been educated. Till then, restrain within just bounds that noble ardor so becoming a Briton, and study to serve that country with your counsels in peace, which will not, I hope, have occasion for your sword in war. Epistle, Miss Howard To Miss Howard, Wednesday, August 11th My Emily, your friend, your unhappy Julia, is undone. He knows the tenderness which I have so long endeavored to conceal. The trial was too great for the softness of a heart like mine. I had almost conquered my own passion when I became a victim to his. I could not see his love, his despair, with that emotions which discovered all my soul. I am not formed for deceit. Artless as the village made, every sentiment of my soul is in my eyes. I have not learnt, and will never learn, to disguise their expressive language. With what pain did I affect a coldness to which I was indeed a stranger? But why do I wrong my own heart? I did not affect it. The native modesty of my sex gave a reserve to my behavior on the first discovery of his passion, which his fears magnified into hate. Oh, Emily, do I indeed hate him? You, whose dear bosom your Julia confides her every thought, tell me if I hate this most amiable of mankind. You know by what imperceptible steps my inexperienced heart has been seduced to love. You know how deceived by the sacred name of friendship. But why do I seek to excuse my sensibility? Is he not worthy all my tenderness? Are we not equal in all but wealth, a consideration below my care? Is not his merit above titles and riches? How shall I paint his delicacy, his respectful fondness? Too plainly convinced of his power over my heart, he disdains to use that power to my disadvantage. He declares he will never receive me but from my father. He consents to leave me till a happier fortune enables him to avow his love to all the world. He goes without asking the least promise in his favor. Heaven sure will prosper his designs, will reward a heart like his. Oh, my Emily, did my father see with my eyes! What is fortune in the balance with such virtue? Had I worlds in my own power, I should value them only as they enabled me to show more strongly the disinterestedness of my affection. Born with too tender a heart, which never before found an object worthy its attachment, the excess of my affection is unspeakable. Delicate in my choice even of friends, it was not easy to find a lover equal to that idea of perfection my imagination had formed. He alone of all mankind rises up to it. The speaking grace, the easy dignity of his air, are the natural consequences of the superiority of his soul. He looks as if born to command the world. I am interrupted. Adieu. August 15th. Epistle Colonel to Colonel Belleville. You were never more mistaken. You will not have the honor of seeing me yet in town. 
My lord thinks it infinitely more respectful to his royal master to celebrate this happy event in the country. My congratulations, says he, would be lost in the crowd of a drawing-room, but here I can diffuse a spirit of loyalty and joy through half a country, and impress all around me with the same veneration and love for the most amiable of princes which burns in my own bosom. Our entertainment yesterday was magnifique, and in the Gusto Belmonto. There is a beautiful lake in the park, on the borders of which, on one side, interspersed amongst the trees, which form a woody theatre round it, at a distance of about three hundred yards, tents were fixed for the company to dine in, which consisted of all the gentlemen's families twenty miles round. Westbrook and his daughter were there, as my lord would not shock them by leaving them only out when the whole neighbourhood were invited. Though he observed, smiling, this was a favour, for these kind of people were only gentlemen by the courtesy of England. Streamers of the gayest colours waved on the tops of the tents, and glittered in the dancing sunbeams. The tables were spread with every delicacy and season, at which we placed ourselves in parties without ceremony or distinction, just as choice or accident directed. On a little island in the midst of the lake, an excellent band of music was played, which played some of the finest compositions of Handel during our repast, which ended, we spread ourselves on the borders of the lake, where we danced on the verdant green till tea and coffee again summoned us to the tents, and when evening had in her sober livery all things clad, a superb supper and a grand ball in the saloon finished our festival. Nor were the villagers forgot. Tables were spread for them on the opposite side of the lake under the shade of the tallest trees, and so disposed as to form the most agreeable points of view to us, as our encampment must do to them. I am ill at describing, but the least had a thousand unspeakable charms. Poor Harry, how I pity him! His whole soul was absorbed in the contemplation of Lady Julia, with whom he danced. His eyes perpetually followed her, and, if I mistake not, his will not be the only heart which aches at parting on Tuesday, for so long is Harry's going postponed. He may go, but like the wounded deer, he carries the arrow in his breast. Adio. Tuesday, August 17th. Epistle Miss Howard To Miss Howard How, my sweet Emily, shall I bear his absence? an absence embittered by the remembrance of those lively impassioned hours which love alone can give. What joy have I found in owning the sentiments of my soul to one so worthy of all my tenderness? Yes, Emily, I love him. Words can but ill-paint what I feel. He, he alone, yet he leaves Belmont, leaves it by my command, leaves it this very hour, leaves it perhaps for ever. Great heaven, can I support that thought? If you love, if you pity your unhappy friend, return immediately to Belmont. Let me repose my sorrows in that faithful breast. Lady Anne is tenderly my friend, but the sprightliness of her character intimidates me. I do not hope to find in her that sweet indulgence to all my faults, as in the gentle soul of my Emily. I have entreated him to take no leave of me. I shall only see him with the family. The moment draws near. My fluttering heart, how shall I hide my concern? 
Lady Anne is coming to my apartment. I must go with her to the saloon, where he only waits to bid us adieu. His chaise is in the court. Oh, Emily, my emotion will betray me. He is gone. The whole house is in tears. Never was a man so adored. Never man so infinitely deserved it. He pressed my hand to his lips. His eyes spoke unutterable love. I leaned almost fainting on Lady Anne and hid my tears in her bosom. She hurried me to my apartment and left me to give vent to my full heart. She sees my weakness and kindly strives to hide it from others, whilst her delicacy prevents her mentioning it to myself. She has a tender and compassionate heart, and my reserve is an injury to her friendship. Lady Anne has sent to ask me to err. I shall be glad to avoid all eyes but hers. Perhaps I may have courage to tell her. She merits all my confidence, nor is it distrust but timidity which prevents. She is here. I am ashamed to see her. Adieu, my dearest, my beloved friend. End of section 16 Recording by Patty Cunningham